0: Welcome to the proud to be profane podcast, your initiation into the ways of the square to resurrect the wretch and pee on the all-seeing pyramid of Illuminati enlightenment. And now, here's your host, Mr. Michael Joseph. Welcome to the proud to be profane podcast. Welcome back. It's been a while, and I didn't think I would be doing another one of these podcasts, maybe perhaps again, or at least not for a very long time. But because there's certain things going on in the world, I decided to resurrect it once more, and probably <laughs> put it back in the closet again afterwards. Now, what is happening with the situation Ukraine and Russia, I'm certainly not an expert on, but... I've heard some people give various perspectives that really help me see things I think a little more clearly and I don't think that those perspectives are being heard enough. So what I wanted to do in this episode that will be multi-segmented is to amalgamate the different information that I've come across that I think should be more well known. I will also give the sources that people should check out first. And that's what I'll be drawing upon along with everything else and just trying to weave together certain things that seem to be consistent and the things that are kind of at odds with each other let you be aware of them to the best of my ability. And hopefully that will help you if you're confused on the situation. But deep down in your gut, you know there's just something rotten in Ukraine. You don't exactly know what it is regardless of Vladimir Putin's intentions, what he's doing there, or what people say about him, right or wrong. And on another level, last year I did this epic 90-something video series on apocalyptic elections, and for a lot of reasons I won't get into, I've had to privatize a lot of the old content. Now, it's still available. You can feel free to email me or sign up for the website. It's very inexpensive at the moment for the old YouTube stuff, just $12 a year. I'm not trying to get a bunch of money off people but based on my situation that's just how it has to be for now. But setting that aside, a lot of the things that we talked about in that series are very, very, very relevant to what's going on now and I'm actually very surprised just how quickly some of the things have come together. So in the Fatima section we'll go into a lot of that craziness and I'll give some of my own personal opinions. And in hindsight, some things have changed, some haven't, but there's still nothing new under the sun. Welcome back to the P2BP podcast. I didn't think I would be making an episode anytime soon, perhaps not even again. Um, But since there's some strange things going on in the world, And also, I haven't noticed a lot of perspectives on it that I find to be, uh, let's say, as balanced, perhaps, um, as there should be. And so, what I wanted to do here is not to say that I'm an expert on any of this, but for people who might be a little suspicious of many of the narratives that are coming out, of all kinds of different groups of media... Um, maybe this will be useful for you. So what I'm really doing is amalgamating a bunch of information that I've absorbed and trying to direct you to it so you can be aware of it, giving my own commentary on this or that, trying to perhaps give a few more insights or explanations as to what you might see in a particular video or particular opinion. And then you can take with that and do what thou wilt with it and figure out what you think on your own. And this might be a several part podcast because it's one of those things that is very complex, but perhaps there are some very simple things you can use to identify um, some of the things going on in a more clear way despite all of the chaos and confusion. So that is the essence of this podcast, and I felt compelled to do so because I think it's the right thing to do. I actually don't want to do this. I don't want to get involved in politics. I hate politics. And I have so many things going on in my life right now that I would rather be focusing on than any of this stuff. So this is not fun for me. I just don't even want to do it. But I just feel like I should because I know that some people um, have listened to the channel or the podcast in the past, and might be asking the same questions, but might feel like they're not getting sufficient answers or ones they feel are giving the fuller picture. So this is for you, and uh, people can disagree with my own conclusions. I'll probably talk a little bit more about that in the later parts in the paid segments, but I'm going to try to give all of the objective info and links and all of the public parts, and again, this will probably end up only on the Podbean channel, because I've had issues with YouTube, and that's a whole other topic that I won't get into, and if people want to know more about it, they can always email me, and i will be happy to explain, but there's a reason why all my content has gone (laughs) private, um, for the most part, Um, so that's uh, something we won't get into. So with all that in mind, let us lay down a few things in this introductory part of the episode that some people might already know. You can always skip over this and go to the next segment if you want to get into the meat and potatoes of it. But really, what we're going to do is outline a bunch of principles by which to um, judge things by or think about, in particular, if you call yourself some sort of Christian. Now, if you don't, a lot of these principles are just common sense and should be useful to you anyways. And since this is what's at the heart of what's going on, it's important to understand these things, whether you agree with Christianity in general, or Catholicism, or Orthodox, or you're sympathetic to it but not wanting to commit to it, or if you don't really like it and um, you realize that it's something you have to deal with. Whatever your view is, these are important things to understand, and they're very useful to identify potential deceptions. I'm not saying that everything will be foolproof and you'll 100% know the truth after all this. Of course not. But these are useful things that will probably help you feel a little bit more um, solidified in your opinion. Um, the other thing we'll talk about is some of the propaganda and the the mainstream narrative that's being pushed out there and that some people, um, even people I know and respect and like, are kind of getting behind and I don't want to foment any nastiness towards those people um, or people I've supported and still support. I just don't think, in my opinion, they're seeing some of these things clearly. Or maybe I'm wrong and I'm willing to be open to that. And I think that there's a gradient of what I find reasonable, even if I don't agree. And I don't want to encourage anybody to uh, take what's from this podcast and use it to try to attack other people who might be not seeing some of these things clearly for whatever reason, I don't know. So this isn't meant to take this stuff and go attack people, but just to think about your own accountability and your own thoughts and intentions, which really do matter, uh, not to get all new agey about it, but you know how we perceive things and what we direct our thoughts and actions towards, these things all have some sort of reality to them. Um, I just don't think it's quite in the way that a lot of the New Agers explain it. But I think the the fundamental principle there is something that is important in terms of our internal, you know, motivations and being. So not to get too esoteric, let's get back on topic here. And let's just talk first about what the standard narrative on the situation seems to be, at least f- especially for people in the West, which is where I live. So we know that Putin is a genocidal madman and Patriarch Kirill is just some rogue, crazy patriarch who's supporting him. And they're all just political. They want power. They're duping Christians and they're just evil men who are bastardizing the name of Christianity. We know this, of course. Um, he's been described as a new Stalin, uh, Putin, that is, which we're going to see is very ironic once we, get, uh, once we get into some of these things later. I think it's America Online or Yahoo News is is suggesting that. Um, the Economist thinks that there is war on Putin's brain constantly. He's just a warmonger. It's just in his mind. He just hates things and wants war, <laughs> right? Um, also, some people say he's just a KGB thug. He's secretly a crypto-communist, and he just wants to bring back the Soviet Union under communism. He's a ruthless dictator. He hates freedom. He was just looking for an excuse for war, always would have, no matter what, even if there was a valid thing that you can say about what he's doing, he would have found an excuse because he just wanted access to, I don't know, the, what is it, the Baltic Sea or uh, the Black Sea, um, the one that connects to the Mediterranean Um These are all just political strategies for worldly things or whatever it might be. This is kind of the general rhetoric you hear from all these various sources that are saying Russia man bad. Uh, I've also heard accusations against the wealth of Putin and Kirill. They have a lot of money. They're building houses or mansions or something. Kirill has an expensive watch, so he's not really a Christian. Meanwhile, the Vatican has all kinds of money and this super nice place. And again, I'm not saying anything against that. I know that's a common accusation, but are we Marxists, right? Isn't it ironic that people are accusing him of being a crypto communist Marxist, and yet people are going to criticize, uh, I guess, building stuff and buildings and having wealth or having expensive watches. Again, that can be a sign of worldly power. I'm not I'm just talking about it from a strictly neutral standpoint here. Just because somebody owns an expensive watch doesn't mean they're a tyrant. Um, It could, but it's funny how there's plenty of expensive watches to go around in the Catholic hierarchy, but we're not supposed to criticize them. Um, And I'm not trying to, again, focus on these quote-unquote worldly things, which is ironic that people fixate on these things, yet they're using them to call out other people, but in my opinion, it's kind of like a passive way of just focusing on worldly things and not really looking at the bigger picture. That's just my opinion. People can take that for what they will. Um, And uh, furthermore, think about all of the strangeness that we found with the Biden family businesses making all kinds of money and then certain scandals with people like Theodore McCarrick having fancy beach houses and all this money that's tied into all these different places that everyone's saying we need to we must support and are the good guys here um so those are just random things i've heard i've also heard we got to back this zelensky character another vladimir which is kind of interesting we'll talk about that later although it is spelled a little funky um so he's a true freedom fighter uh he is fighting for democracy and Even though maybe he's got a few problems here or there, he's nowhere near the nasty, disgusting dictator that somebody like Vladimir Putin is, the other side of the Vladimir spectrum. Um, We'll see if that is the case. Um, And again, we're comparing and contrasting here. You can decide if things are awash, if both sides are horrible and evil, or one is worse than the other, or maybe uh, it's very much the opposite of the situation that we're hearing. Um, We also must love all Ukrainian citizens. For some reason, globalism with open borders and we are super mean if we want to protect our country and, you know, keep out foreign influences. Well, apparently now that all goes out the window and Ukrainian citizens are fighting patriotically for democracy for their country against foreign influences. So you can flood the Mexican border or whatever with a bunch of people and and do all this stuff and have Chinese companies coming in everywhere if you if you mention that you're racist and you we're we're in an open borders world now but when it comes to Ukraine now it's time for it to rise for its national destiny of democracy or whatever it is right so I find that a little bit strange um and we're going to talk a little bit more about how um they're arming certain people to do this that might even be civilians uh, by force. So that's something we'll get into. But that's the, the narrative coming out of the West as far as I can perceive. I don't listen to these things 24-7. I don't know every piece of information that people are talking about. I'm sure I'm missing a lot. But those seem to be the broad strokes that I see. Now, moving on to the Christian or Catholic perspective We're supposed to judge things by the gospel or church teaching, but it's really rooted in what's in the Bible. So to be ecumenical here, we're just going to go straight to the Bible scripture alone and pull out certain passages or things that Christ himself teaches, generally speaking. Um, And we're going to use these principles, but the difference is there's a way to apply them. And that's actually, in my opinion, part of our free will. Because there's a lot of principles that are spoken of, but there's also some that can kind of contradict, right? If Christ divides by the sword and separates brother from brother and father from son or whatever it is, yet he's the prince of peace and the blessed are the peacemakers. Well, obviously there must be a context to when you divide by the sword and what that means and then bringing about peace. Perhaps there's conflicts that divide by the sword that are okay which perhaps involve what Christ says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So commandments are kind of an important thing when you're dividing by the sword, it would seem, at least my reading of the gospel. And then there's dialectical conflicts that are sowed by the seed of Satan. And we'll talk about some of the passages that perhaps illuminate those things. So one of the most important things is Christ says that you must judge by the same standards And you'll be judged back by them. And that's kind of an intimidating thing. Think about all of the standards that we impose on other people when we judge something or somebody else. Do we adhere to that ourselves? It's kind of a frightening prospect. And that's what we'll be judged by. So we're basically going to be judged by how hypocritical we are. Now, this is a very important thing that goes with that. Christ also specifies what you attack when you're judging such things in other people. There's specks and logs and gnats and camels. They're basically the same. A speck is a tiny thing. A gnat is a tiny unkosher thing. Now, if you're going to strain the tiny unkosher thing, but you're going to eat the giant unkosher thing, the camel, or you're going to have a giant log in you and you're trying to remove, let's just say, you know, specks and logs represent bad things, right? If you have a giant piece of wood in your face, but you're trying to get rid of these little tiny specks of sawdust, then that's the irony. You are actually not removing anything bad. It's still stuck in you and you're picking out these small little bad things and everybody else. That's the point. Now, there's a different gradients of this where you somebody could be doing something that's really not that great, but somebody could be doing something far worse. So for let's give some examples here. Let's say some guy looked at me funny and I wasn't very happy with it and I punched him in the face. I went over the top. I didn't need to do that. I could have kept walking. And that was me being very violent. I could probably get arrested for some sort of, you know, assault. Now There's a difference between that and me going up and murdering somebody just because I didn't like them for doing that. I, I did two different actions based upon the same thing. I just didn't like their, the way they looked at me in their face. But punching them in the face and then murdering them for it are two very different things. There's one example, both bad. Another could be if somebody was prodding at me and um, nobody really saw the prodding and they were threatening my family, but it was very subtle and I could tell like they were slowly encroaching on that. And I decided to counterpunch and just punch them in the face, but they never done anything that was a overt punch against me, but it was a lot of subtle things and I could tell You know, like when a pedophile is going after your kid, they're going to go up to them and start talking with them and offering them things. They don't break any specific laws, but if you know what they're about, you know where they're going with it. So I will preemptively punch them in the face. Let's just say that. Maybe that was an extreme reaction, but there's a reason for it. Um, And then some people can take that punch in the face and act like I'm the person who did the wrong. And then that pedophile person was a completely innocent victim. So there's different gradients to all these situations, and depending on when somebody throws that punch preemptively, or if they don't, um, whatever it might be. Um, and then, last analogy here, there's hypocrisy that's not really that big of a deal in comparison, right? If I tell somebody maybe they're eating a few too many cookies, and they're getting gaining weight, and that's not good for them, and then I go pig out on cookies that night, I'm being a hypocrite, but it's just Friggin' cookies, right? Yeah. That that's a hypocrisy. We all do that kind of stuff, right? So these are different layers and levels of specs and logs and dealing with them. And since that spectrum is very complicated, it's understandable when people might view the spectrum a little bit differently than we do, but there is a way that's still in accordance with something you can argue for as being valid, right? Um Somebody might find one particular kind of hypocrisy more uh, problematic than I would, but you can make a decent argument you're still in the same realm versus once you go beyond certain things that get into extremes, that's when perhaps dividing by the sword comes into effect here. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, Moving on. We talked about the peace versus war, Christ dividing by the sword, yet is the prince of peace. So Christ's rule to bring peace is with a rod of iron, and that's the point of Christendom. You can't just have only mercy and just let everybody get away with everything. There's always justice to go with it, and then you dish out mercy accordingly, depending on the person's situation, their background, what's subjective to them, how repentant they are, and all these sorts of things. So there's another gradient there that could be, a whole host of examples that we'll save for another time. So the context really matters. Another important point. In the Bible, Christ says, you will be hated in my name. Now, just because you say the name Jesus Christ, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're being hated in the name of what Christ is or what he's defining, right? We have the Gnostics who say that they were for Jesus Christ. But they thought that Jesus Christ was liberating you from the creator of the Old Testament that the God of Israel was evil. So obviously that's not the real Christ from the Catholic viewpoint. Yahweh is the God's name of the Old Testament, the personal name, which is Christ as part of that Godhead, right? You don't divorce them from each other like the Gnostics do. So saying the name of Christ has more goes with it. There's an essence of authority, also the essence or person of that being. So for example, silly example, Um, let's just say, I know my father. I grew up with my father. I know him. I know how to define him as a person better than probably most people. And let's say some historian comes along 50 years later. Let's say my father is a little more famous and they start saying, like, I know my father was like a devout Christian. And they start trying to say that he was actually a communist. And somehow they know that he's a communist and they're writing all these books about it. And then a bunch of people believe that. But I know that he wasn't because I live with him every day and I saw that. And he hated communists. But somehow they're able to weave that into some sort of narrative that seems kind of convincing on the surface. Um, but this is why defining somebody's name and their attributes and who they are. You know, anybody can do that. I can take anybody can take a name and just start throwing stuff out there about them. So being hated in Christ's name doesn't necessarily mean anything because there's a lot of different groups that have said that they're doing stuff in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, even the Nazis, when they're positive Christianity, were saying where they're basically being Gnostics and divorcing everything from Judaism and the Old Testament. Um, so there's a lot of different versions of Christ. And he also says that. Many people will say they cast out demons in my name, but at the day of judgment, they'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. So we can probably think of certain groups that might fit that category. So there's a lot that goes with that, right? Moving on, let's talk about Satan, the name of Satan, the adversary, the enemy of mankind that we can follow if we want through free will and imitate him if we want. And sometimes we get deceived into it, and it's understandable. So there's a different gradient there. But there's this understanding that Christ talks about with Satan casting out Satan. And he says that how can a kingdom of Satan stand? Now, in my opinion, this reflects dialectics that are both two sides that are controlled by the adversary. And they bash each other, and they vie for power. But they'll never stand and then they just kind of swallow each other up. So for example, the Protestant Reformation got swallowed up by the Enlightenment and just kind of turned into that and then that got swallowed up and turned into communist revolutions and all these crazy things. I've talked about this before, the 1517 to 1717 to 1917, Protestantism to Masonry to communism. It's just a strange Ouroboros that sheds its skin and becomes more anti-Catholic and anti-Christian than the regime before it, but it's still Satan casting out Satan. So that is a matter of dialectics. Now, there can be false dialectics where people say that, um, you know, the Jesuits are just some crypto Saturn-worshipping cult that's tied to dark demonology. And, you know, that's like Madame Blavatsky or angry Protestants say that. um. And I'd say that they're on their own dialectic because they're saying the same propaganda against the church. And we've talked about this many times in past series. So there's a lot of different examples. We've illustrated them before. So the question is, is Putin just Satan casting out Satan? Is this just a dialectical battle um, between some bad regime and Ukraine uh, liberalism? And uh, that's one way you could look at it. And if that's true to what degree is that um and you know you could say that about a lot of different groups or is there something more going on here these are all questions you'd want to ask yourself continuing um this is more of a practical thing but the idea of spiritual progress versus spiritual regress now when people are trying to become christian uh in some genuine sense, meaning internally, usually there will be a progress. They're moving towards something. I always use this, the analogy of the stock market. It's not an analogy I love to use because it's very worldly. But think about the idea that what we commonly know as a stock market. It always goes up, right? It just never goes down. It might crash sometimes, but it will come back. And that's kind of like the nature of the spiritual life. You're trying to get better and then you might crash. You might fall into quote unquote mortal sin or you might do something bad, but you pick yourself back up. You repent and you keep going and you keep making progress. You're constantly going up despite some crashes. That's just kind of how it works. And sometimes people can be very pharisaical and they won't even believe that people can progress because of maybe their background and where they came from. Um, I'll just random example, somebody like Milo Yiannopoulos, he came from a very non-Catholic lifestyle. And I remember when he converted, people were saying, oh, he's just, he's just, you know, full of it. He's just playing us. He's not going to convert. He's still a closet homosexual. He'll never be holy, you know, all these sorts of things. Right. And to me, that's just not Christianity. That That's denying the power of the sacraments and the power of God. Now, that can happen where people could do that. But if that's your default position, that they must always be bound to what they used to be or the disgusting culture that they came from, then I don't find that to be the message of the gospel. So is Satan just, excuse me, uh, is Putin just Satan? He's just bound to be a KGB agent uh, agent and that, you know, he's just intrinsically evil always. Um, And you could ask that about anybody else. Donald Trump. You could ask that about uh, many people, even even people who are not doing so well. Maybe they could have a change of heart. Uh, Joe Biden, perhaps. Maybe he could all of a sudden start saying, "You know what? Catholic teaching is that abortion is wrong. I'm going to change all this." These things could happen, but there are certain signs I think that lend towards if somebody's starting to progress and and, and you know lead their own life or other people's lives away. So we might ask the question, has there been progress in Russia moving away from its old Soviet ways? And it might not be perfect, but is it continuously going away from bad things? That might be an important question to ask when we think about all this, because one of the issues is people don't believe that Russia is really Christian. Uh, They just think that it's a big facade, especially Putin's version of it. Or is there something more going on here? Um, Also, by your fruits, you shall know them. That's a pretty classic one. So when a tree bears good fruit, Christ says, you'll know that that's good. Now, what is good fruit? Well, when Christ defines things very clearly, he says, God is love and love is keeping my commandments. So we're going to show a focus on commandments. And obviously there can be kind of a, a hierarchy to that on some level. Um, and these are similar statements of Gamaliel in the Bible where they're wondering if the uh, Christian movement, which is just taking off and acts, I believe, um, the Pharisees and the, the, a lot of the Jews that aren't accepting Christ, you know, hate this movement or some are just perplexed by it. They don't know what to think. And that seems to maybe be more Gamaliel style. And he says, before we start condemning these people and attacking them And and throwing them in Jewish jail and executing them or trying to get the Roman state to execute them for blasphemy, whatever it is, everything that happened to Christ. Why don't we just chill out and just see what happens? We don't have to participate in this movement, we don't have to support it per se, but we don't have to be against it. Because if this is of God, then we're actually going against God's wishes. If it's not of God, it's just going to die out and be one of those Satan casting out Satan dialectical kingdoms, right? I think that's pretty wise. So maybe that's – if people are suspicious about you know Russia and Putin's Christianity or stuff like that, you don't have to support it. But you could perhaps pull a Gamaliel and just wait and see and it doesn't mean you have to support Ukrainian democracy and the entire Western disgusting regime <laughs> and say Putin must be stopped. We must be against him. That's That's the difference. You can be suspicious, but maybe it's more prudent to act like Gamaliel. Moving on. Now, um, there's also this sentiment that we need to obey God and not men. Now, that can be abused. That can be like, well, the, the clergy are men. So I don't have to obey the, the hierarchy, right? There's a dissent against the authority of the church that can be bad and problematic, right? But there can also be instances that are kind of rare where the, the church hierarchy is corrupt and you have to make a decision accordingly. Perhaps something like Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre did. People can be suspicious of him, but I would also ask if that's a movement of Satan, has it died out? In fact, SSPX has gotten closer to reunion with Rome in the fullest sense. And there's been a lot of fruits that I would say are pretty good from it, despite there could be some Pharisaic attitudes or whatever it might be. Um, And there's also examples in history where particular people who are now considered saints were like kind of cast out of the church or attacked or whatever. And so, um, you know, these things are all part of history. So you have to kind of look at how things have been applied over history to maybe help you see how you might want to apply them now. Um, so, remember that. Um, also, think about the words of Isaiah. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Now, the important thing here is there are weightier and lesser matters of the law, just like you talked about with specs and logs. There's weightier matters of the, commandment, the commandments, right? Thou shalt not kill in the sense of aborting babies, and then there's war, when is it just war, when killing happens through war, that can be a lot more or less clear, just like dealing with fetal cells and vaccines. That is, in my opinion, that is still a serious issue that needs debate, but that's different than dealing with abortion straight up on its own. In fact, if you got rid of abortion straight up on its own, that would de facto get rid of all of the uh, the aborted fetal cells and, and tissues, because if you can't have abortions at all, then you wouldn't have the stuff to do the the research, right? Um, in you know, in in practice, uh, so setting aside all the legalism, think about what what makes sense is like common sense, and then how to deal with these remote issues where there's something that is a weightier matter, but it's it's mixed in with these lesser situations or, or perhaps remote situations that are much more complex. Those are two different ways. I think you can separate those out and there's can be an argument made either way, right? For not taking the abortion tainted vaccine at all, but you don't have to be one of those people who believes in that to, to be nasty to the people who take the remote view and they're still unsure about it. Right? So to me, there's, There's two roads that can be, quote, unquote, kosher, in my opinion, but they're going to generate a lot of controversy. So that might be something to think about with the war. Um, And then how you conduct war is also very different. And that's something we'll talk about later. Um, But when you say abortion is good and being against abortion is evil, that is precisely who Isaiah is speaking to, in my opinion. Also, when Paul says, put on the full armor of God, that's kind of a a debated thing. But um, from what I understand from the Catholic viewpoint, that would be all the sacraments um, to gain the graces, to resist all the evil out there the best you can. Now, during times of judgment, especially if you read the Apocalypse, And apocalypse doesn't mean to be a scary word. It can just mean unveiling. A lot of things that have been hidden are being unveiled. And I'd say it's a very apocalyptic time. And that's the whole point of the apocalyptic elections series that I did a year or so ago, which is very much involved in all this stuff. But anyways, you can have chinks in that armor, right? This is a time where these holes, I think, are being exposed and you see it in yourself or other people. And sometimes you didn't realize that somebody was totally seeing through all these things. And all of a sudden something comes up and they all of a sudden just jump back into the very system that they said they were against. It's very strange. I saw this with the coronavirus. A lot of people I knew but believed in, you know, all these government conspiracies. And then when this came out, they were just terrified of it and wanted everybody to mask, you know, and it's disappointing to see that, but it's just been a strange experience. And some people I thought would totally go along with it have not. So Just just a weird time. Um, And I don't try to hold that against people. I just kind of am flabbergasted by the way all this works and you just realize you're part of something so much more grand than yourself. So with that being said, I think that seeing chinks in people's armor with some of the stuff going on now, in my opinion, um, it's understandable. I don't want to get too upset about it, but it is frustrating to see. And then you under maybe there's a chick in my armor, maybe they're right, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. So these are all questions. I think of just being self-introspective about it, it's good. It's healthy. Also, another thing, uh, Israel during these times gets blinded and its hearts get hardened, and they can't recognize God or God's work in front of them. Now, Christ says those who Hear his voice, will recognize it, right? My sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I can never remember what the Bible verse is or where it is, but I remember reading it. Um, apparently it's a Catholic thing. Not really remembering the scripture and verse, but the general concept. Versus the t- the Protestants tend to know exactly what passage. Uh, I've heard, heard people mention that before, and it seems to be kind of true. Um, also in these times, even the elect will be deceived. But for their sake, the bad days will be shortened. Something to that effect. Um, certainly can see that perhaps going on. Um, Christ also says to the Pharisees when they're getting cranky with them, you might not believe me in the things I say, but what about my works? He's doing unbelievable things, yet he's accused of being a demonic magician, having ill intent of leading all of Israel astray, or in the modern application, all the Catholics astray, all Christians astray. But yet, the works that they're doing could only be from the grace of God. How could somebody make war with the beast, let's use that analogy, and be successful against it if it wasn't God's grace, no matter how flawed they were or how unchristian they are perceived to be, either in the past or present? So this is the accusations of the Jews back in the day against each other. Now we would say it's the accusations of the Christians against each other. Um, They just perhaps can't see some of these works that we're going we're gonna to talk about that seem pretty unbelievable to me, especially if you understand the context of history. And then lastly, we know that the Pharisees set up Christ by manipulating the mob, using their power with their, well, the Pharisee media, let's say, but within the Jewish communities. And then they get the Roman state, right? The one that's just kind of not really aware of things to execute and drop the hammer. And they have kind of more of a relativistic, okay, we don't think Christ is guilty, but... We don't want a woke mob of angry Jews tearing up the place and, you know, mostly peaceful protesting. So we're just going to kill the guy and get on with it, right? Um, because that's a threat to the pagan version of peace where we can all just be degenerate and continue that on perpetually and just worship whatever gods we want and some synchronistic thing that we – you know, everybody can do their own little worship, whatever they want to do, but when it comes time to pledge allegiance to the Roman state, like perhaps <laughs> coronavirus lockdowns, um, something like that, then all the other gods have to step aside where the supreme despot of Zeus and the Roman state tells you how it's gonna be. Um, and now we see perhaps a similar example of that with this whole situation in Ukraine. Um all the other gods go aside here, particularly the God of Israel. He might be invoked, but it will be at the behest of the NATO-European-American alliance. So, let's move on to the next section. We're going to talk a little bit about what we mentioned, apocalyptic elections, and what Catholic tradition says on how demons operate. And People always know that I like to reference Father Chad Ripperger and how he talks about these sorts of things, because if you apply them, boy, they really seem to have a direct application in many instances. Um, Doesn't mean I agree with every single thing that I hear about from these traditions, but there's quite a bit, and especially the fundamentals that I think are, are very pertinent. So we've talked about a lot of these in the apocalyptic elections series. I'm just going to kind of reiterate some of these things in a little bullet point listing So, the nature of radical communists pretty much embody the behavior of the demonic. They blame others for the very crimes they commit. Now, again, anybody can do this, but it's got its quintessence, let's say, in the radical communist regimes. So, they ignore specs and logs or reverse them. And sometimes they hold people to standards that they don't even hold at all, right? So, if uh, I think one of the examples we mentioned is that Donald Trump said that he was pro marriage between a man and a woman and was basically against the idea of homosexual marriage. And then he was grilled on it from CNN or whoever's interviewing him saying, Well, you've been divorced three times. Like, who are you to speak? Um, so they don't even care if people get divorced, right? The liberal regime, they think that that's a right, but they really care if you uh, got divorced, if you're going to, you know, uh, promote Christian values, and they're going to actually use Christian morality and hold it against you, even though they don 't believe in it whatsoever that's the point I 'm talking about. so it can be very legalistic uh that's just one major example and then the ironic thing is that Trump actually repented and said that his failed marriages were his fault and not the women, and it was his fixation on his career and worldly things that destroyed them and that's something that a lot of people seem to miss that massive repentance on live air, even if it was imperfect. But we covered all that. But that's just an example. Um, they also bear false witness against their enemies. That's kind of like a commandment, right? Oh, these are my enemies and they must be evil. So I can lie and do anything that most people would consider to be evil. But as long as I'm doing as I'm fighting the worst evil, that's totally cool. In other words, Satan casting out Satan. Um, so in light of what we talked about with Christ and the gospel, what does Christ hate more than anything it seems is hypocrisy. So the more drastic the hypocrisy gets, you would think the more of the wrath of God would come at some point upon those types of sentiments. And that's why I think we should be very, very careful to be sure that we're not doing these things in a very major way on our own. Like I said, if you say to somebody, don't eat a bunch of cookies, and then I go go eat cookies later, that's not the kind of hypocrisy I'm talking about. Um... Also, for the liberal regime, killing babies is basically a sacrament. They must have abortion. We've seen the radical, crazy push for more of it, even during the coronavirus lockdown, where they're telling us they're trying to save lives, but we need more abortions. So I don't even know how to explain the crazy hypocrisy that goes with that. Um, But they try to get around it by saying, oh, they aren't lives until a certain point, and then nobody can even define that, like the new... A court justice inquisition who doesn't know what a woman is or when life begins. So there you go. Um, also, the idea that, you know, basically LGBT open border sexuality is a right. You can be as trans as you want. You can be a dude running in all of these women's events and breaking all these records. But as long as you define yourself as a woman, that's totally fine. So we talked about the definitions really mattering, um, despite uh, not to them. But it, it, it does matter in the ultimate reality. That's the point. Uh, like we mentioned, divorce on demand is, of course, a right. Um, and then think about religious idolatry, how that, that happens in terms of like a violation of what the, you know, the, the first few commandments are in terms of loving the Lord God and not forming idols and all that kind of stuff. Well, now we have the Kumbaya religious syncretism for peace and tolerance, and you can do whatever you want um, and have whatever idols you want as long as the supreme God of the new Roman Empire will have its day when it needs to crack down on the God of Israel rising. And then we talked about the Pharisee spirit. That's utterly hypocritical, but the most important thing is they're the most accountable because they had the most knowledge, and therefore they're choosing their hypocrisy to plot murder in secret. This is different between people who are duped by the media and they just don't quite see these things. The ones that Christ would say, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do, right? Now, we don't ultimately know who that is in everybody's own heart and how much they're accountable, but we can get some broad strokes and also... The plotting the murder in secret is very, very important. That's going to be key later, especially when we want to blame other people for being murderers or whatever it might be. Also, the nature of the demons, the point I mentioned about the Pharisee spirit is that is the essence of the demonic, um, Satan being the first murderer and liar from the beginning, right? So what the demons do is they all unite in the name of hell's capital and paradise lost, even though that... um, Milton's work is seen as a little pseudo-Gnostic, but I like the idea. Pandemonium, all demons, the city of all demons. What do they do? They all cry anything but God. They're all ready to unite at the drop of a hat. All these groups that hate each other, they cast each other out. They're always rivaling each other. But when the God of Israel comes, then they all unite and say anything but that. We don't care how hypocritical anything we say is. We just don't want that. And we're going to try to convince as many people that they don't want that either. So it reminds me of the never-you-know-what movements. It's a very strange thing. And again, imperfect instruments can be used to expose pandemonium. Uh, We're not going to get into that. That's apocalyptic election stuff, but you'll probably know what I'm talking about. Um, And... You know, I, I just think it's very interesting that right now we're perhaps seeing another kind of incarnation of that, where all these groups that don't really like each other are uniting. Now we have the the neocons, uh, you know, the Bush regime people once again uniting with the the Pelosi's, the Obama's, the Clinton's. And think about we talked about when, you know, Donald Trump was being elected the first time Um you you had – this is the irony. You had all these witches coming out, satanic witches who say they want abortion and, you know, um, against the patriarchy, Christianity's evil. They're, they all came out of the woodwork and went out in public and had their tarot cards and stuff. And they were all protesting because they didn't want the pro-life president or whatever, as flawed as he is, right? And then you had a bunch of Catholics – Saying the same, not not what exactly what the witches were saying, but would never never Trump, right? So my question for Catholics would be: isn't it strange when you have satanic witches that you're all getting in arms against to say we don't want this? This is also happening where the satanic church of America is like Aligning with the Democratic Party now, (laughs) Uh, I think there's a Jesse Romero did this whole protest against them or counter protest or whatever it was. Um, But the point is that for some reason, the Democratic Party seems to embody the values of satanic witches who are coming out of the woodwork and Satanists who now feel they can get involved with politics. They actually have a regime that they can politically align with. (laughs) So if you're Catholic and you're still promoting the Democratic Party and its line and all this stuff, or even the neocon regime and, and what's going on now, and everybody's saying, we got to back democracy in Ukraine. Is this pandemonium all uniting to say something? Again, I'm not saying I'm right, but it seems eerily suspicious. So we're going to talk more about that. We're just outlining the broad strokes here. Um. Also, remember from the Catholic viewpoint that any of these mortal sins that we mentioned, right, uh, abortion, open borders, LGBT, especially like transsexual madness, divorcing on demand, all this stuff, religious idolatry, um, not to mention particular Amazonian of the Amazonian flavor. Well, that opens you up to demonic influence, legally speaking. God will either allow it or not, but the, the demons will claim a right over you uh, to have some sort of influence or maybe even possess you. Who knows? But the point is that all opens you up. So when you have a society that treats mortal sins as sacraments and fundamental rights and people just do them nonchalantly like it ain't no thing, Does that open them up to more and more demonic influence? And then when the demons get, quote unquote, triggered, then they prod all the people that they have influence over. And then all of a sudden you have this pandemonium, one world shout, anything but that. So when I see that kind of behavior, it doesn't mean that that's happening in this particular instance over Ukraine, but it sure kind of looks like it in a lot of ways. As imperfect as what they are attacking is, isn't that kind of how God works? He gives you exactly what you don't expect. And it also challenges all of your prejudices and misconceptions. That's just a paradigm I think people should consider at the least. Also, the demons hate Our Lady. And in Catholic Mariology, like St. Louis de Montfort, in some sense, they hate her more than anyone else, even more than God. And I'm not going to explain why it's kind of a somewhat complicated thing. Um, But the point is she promised that Russia would be converted if you believe the Fatima message. And obviously that's something we talked all about in the apocalyptic election series. So if Russia would be converted at some point, who knows how and what exactly that means, the demons would probably hate Russia even more so um, because they know that's a promise that they can't prevent. But they can certainly try to mess with people and prevent as many people from seeing that promise clearly. That's certainly something that can happen. So even if this is kind of a vague assertion, it just makes logical sense that they'd hate Russia and do everything they could to throw everything that they have in the kitchen sink at it, no matter how irrational. So keep that in mind as we go through this. Um, And like we said, they will prod whoever they have power over during sensitive times, but they prefer to remain hidden if they can. But once the presence of God comes too close, they just get angry and throw a crazy three-year-old temper tantrum. But it's a very sophisticated one because they have like crazy amounts of intellect over what we have. So it will be a very sophisticated three-year-old temper tantrum. And also there's this notion that demons, before they get cast out, they kind of have this deer in the headlights look or behavior where it's like this major crazy panic. Now, I feel like I saw that during the election integrity, stop the steel rally, where all these politicians were saying weird, crazy stuff that just seems so bizarre, even for them, and it had this weird look like something was happening. Now, it didn't happen, and hiding in the basement Biden was able to be accepted into the office. But before that happened, there was this weird panic that I think everybody saw. Um, So maybe they were wondering if something was going to happen, but it didn't, and they were still able to retain their seat on the throne of the Beast of Rome. Um, Again, just throwing these things out there, but just observations you might want to think about. And the last thing we mentioned is that demons don't care about your feelings, but they will use them. manipulate you. They care about legalism and holding on to power at all costs. And perhaps that explains the spiritual climate, which Christ says that we should be aware of. He chastised the Jews for not seeing the signs of the times. They can predict the weather, the natural weather, no problem, but they were not very good at predicting the spiritual climate. And I think that that is maybe very relevant to a lot of things going on. And perhaps people are still seeing things in lenses of the past rather than recognizing the signs of the times. That's just my opinion. And we'll provide the data for you to make up your own mind if that paradigm makes sense to you as well. So the last thing we're going to mention here before we go on to the next segment, I know this a long introduction, but these things are very important. Uh, the idea of just war. Some people say it's not even possible today. I would say, is it kind of like usury, where usury was easier to define back in the day when the economic system was a lot more simple and not nearly as complex as it is now, um, where you're kind of participating in usury in every single instance of your day in some remote way. Now, if that's a mortal sin, then we're all kind of screwed, right? So there's also a certain amount of common sense that goes with these things. And so the ways wars are fought with the crazy technology, bioweapons, psychological violence, um, you know, the the, the classic prod at them and wait till they attack you and then blame them for being the aggressor. We've seen this so many times, Um, but that's not happening this time. Trust me, it's just not. Um, No, no way. Uh, We'll let you decide uh, if that is at play or not, but a lot of people don't seem to think so. And also just economic and resources warfare, how that changes now with a technocracy beast that can cancel anyone through its technocratic hegemony and can cancel countries by just pulling out all of the uh, social media and, and access and and all these sorts of things, right? So we saw how that all worked um, after the president of the United States and um, certain prominent Republicans had everything censored. Um, whereas, you know, people who would be seen as dictators X amount of years ago, have you know, no problem keeping them on the social media. Um, but they're, they're communists. So there it's, it's okay. Now it just kind of shows you who's in power. Um, so that's a whole nother topic. Who knows, but also look back to Israel's history. There were also murderers in Israel's history, kind of prominent ones. Moses, Although his is a little bit more understandable. David, King David, that was a pretty screwed up one, but he did repent. Uh, Paul was killing Christians until he converted or Saul became Paul, right? Um, he's the most classic example of that. And he repents and admits it and even says, hey, I was zealous for God, but I was completely wrong and I got set back on track. And so he's very repentant, but he also understands the depths of God's forgiveness and he doesn't need to dwell on that as to have that guilt in the sense that it just makes you depressed and morbid, right? You can still have joy that those things have been forgiven, but you can still have sorrow for them. There's a, you know, a way to distinguish those things. So those are the biblical figures I think are most, you know, most come to the forefront when you talk about that. Then you have somebody like Charlemagne. He started, for for all intents and purposes, the Holy Roman Empire, and is seen as this great king of bringing about Holy Roman Christendom in its, you know, fullness, for at least from the Catholic perspective. Obviously, he's not usually loved in the Eastern side or the Greek side of the the quote unquote schism. But setting that aside, Charlemagne did have some forced conversions. Sometimes he he had his not so great moments. Some of these kings that converted, they had, you know, they still had their multiple wives or whatever it's going on, right? Um. And then there's a lot of popes that are seen as very holy, even saints, that maybe made some not-so-good decisions. Um, There's some even from Pius X, or if you want to take the more modern pope, Pope John Paul II, you know, considered as saint. And the Assisi event is a little strange, and there's some other things. But generally speaking, everybody's got some sort of baggage no matter what. Um... And then also, and look at Christendom, there's just wars all over the place. And there's always tricky situations, but they tended to be more controlled. They weren't open border chaos like World War I and II and perhaps what seems to be brewing now. Think about Emperor Constantine and the emperors of Byzantium. We talked about the Ouroboros of the Byzantine throne and how they kept cutting out each other's tongues and eyes and whatever. Not saying that none of that stuff ever happened in the West. I'm just saying... That it was very predominant there. Um, and Constantine, who's seen as bringing about Christendom because of what he did, still had his own issues. Um, and so the other last example I mentioned is a lot of the time, these, these rulers had forgiveness. That was very quick. People could say they're being political, but isn't that just a presumption uh, in a lot of instances? Because, Usually the pagans who aren't getting the graces of God don't forgive so quickly. Um, You can be a political animal like a Talleyrand and just survive in all these different regimes that are so different from each other. But you're switching between, you know, these sorts of things and you're just holding on to your political identity. That can't happen. But I just think about Napoleon when he came out and destroyed the Holy Roman Empire, did all these things, and it was seen as awesome. But in, when he became uh, a little bit more favorable to Catholicism, that's when he turned into the evil despot that nobody likes. And even Albert Pike, you see this in Morals and Dogma, makes this transformation where Napoleon was really awesome at the start when he's like destroying all these Catholic things and and looting Loretto and and freeing Muslims and the island of Malta and getting obsessed with Egypt and all this stuff. Well, he's amazing then. But then later he marries Marie Louise, one of the Habsburg, what is it, princess or whatever. And then he kind of gets tamed a little bit and he might have even converted to Catholicism at the end. It's kind of apocryphal tales of that. We don't know. But it's kind of funny that those are the days where he's seen as the de- despot who puts his own progeny on the throne. So the Napoleons, you know, his, his, those that moved, ruled France after them, they kind of like that one foot in the old world order, one foot in the new world order door. I, I'm not personally the biggest fan of Napoleon Bonaparte. I think he was a huge problem, but there's still a strange mixture there That uh, there's another side of the story. So, dealing with wars and just wars and all this stuff has become ever the more complicated. That's my point. So, when people want to view what's going on now so black and white, I find that to be a little strange for me, personally. Also, there have been righteous crusades or just wars from the Christian standards with collateral damage that wasn't so good. The Cathar Crusade is one of them. We've discussed that in detail. Um... No need to get into that too much here, but also in the the Crusades, which were dealing with the Islamic culture, which if people look into that, again, I don't have time, but it was just really horrible. Uh, go back to our episode on the summer of love <laughs> with dealing with racism and how how screwed up the North African slave trade that was tied to Turkish masters was. And this is, you know, all that stuff would have been prevented by the crusades being successful, but there were some abuses of the crusades. There were certain times Jews were killed in the process unjustly. Um, There's rogue factions that can go this way or that way. Again, the fourth crusade debacle is this whole other thing we've talked about. So those things should also be, uh, taken into consideration. And then the last thing we'll mention here. We'll wrap it up. Remembering history. How quickly we seem to forget. When we're judging something by particular standards. And just even maybe. 10 days ago. 10 years ago. 10 decades ago. We just tend to invert our standards. By which we were judging things then. To suit a particular uh, convenience at the time, perhaps. I th- I think that that happens a lot, and we all do this in our own lives. So I'm not saying I'm some saint who's not guilty of all these things I'm talking about here. But when we're so quick to be moralists about it, that is, I think, more of the problem. So I think when things are highlighted and other things are ignored, that is where there's a problem, right? There's World War II atrocities on the Allies' side. The the war, uh, you know, the American Revolution in 1776, if you actually judge the standards of what was going on there, perhaps that was not a just war, actually, much to the chagrin of many people. Even people I like and appreciate um, saying that there can be an argument for it. There's issues with Yemen and Syria or even recently Libya, Iraq, Afghanistan. Somehow a lot of the things that happened there have been forgotten. When dealing with whether or not this invasion of Ukraine is just or not, or or just how bad it is and all these sorts of things. But do these people call the American revolutionaries waging an unjust war? Do we call Churchill, FDR, Truman all monsters without souls? Um, they, they call him, they calling Putin a new Stalin, yet <laughs> these are groups that align with Stalin who starved all these Ukrainians and millions of people. And Trump is being called Hitler. It just, if you understand the history and you judge by the same standard, it's not even that complicated. Like, some of these accusations are just absolutely insane in terms of their exaggeration. Now, there can be warranted aspects, but we don't want to make the specs into logs and vice versa. So, with those parting words in our very lengthy introduction on outlining all the principles... Um, We'll see you next time when we start getting in and applying all these things to what's going on now. And again, you can decide what you think about it all, but hopefully a different way of looking at it might be useful and might at least calm yourself down when you're dealing with all these complex issues.